morning again, everyone. I hope you're uh, all doing well and in good spirits. Uh, just before we get started, uh, one quick announcement from me, seeing as I'm the small groups dude here. Um, I love small groups, and at St. Matthew's, our small groups are our main vehicle for growing as disciples of Jesus, and they're a good way to build Christian friendship and community and challenge one another with the scriptures and to petition God in prayer. And just letting you know that our small groups are going to kick off in the second week of February, after the week of prayer and fasting. And a little bit differently than normal, we're going to have an all-in small groups launch night uh, the Wednesday of that week. More details will follow. be a great night, really where we need our small group leaders to attend, but it's actually open for any member of a small group, or in fact anybody who's at all interested in attending, because the more people who buy into healthy small groups, the better, I think. Uh, And then the small groups will start the following week, and we'll be studying the book of 1 Corinthians together, which is our kind of project for first term and beyond. Uh, And if you are interested in joining a small group, by all means, let me know. You can do that via filling out the Connect card or contacting me at the office. I'm going to pray and we shall get straight to work. Let's pray. Heavenly Father God, I want to thank you for the chance to be here and the chance to listen to your voice in Scripture. I do pray that you would help us to hear, with our ears certainly, but also with our hearts and with our lives. Amen. Okay, uh, a couple of years ago, I was watching the tennis, which is what you do in January, isn't it? And uh, I was watching a match. It is what you do in January, isn't it? Thank you. Uh, and I was watching a match between uh, world number one, uh, Novak Djokovic, and the then young Australian upstart called Bernard Tomic. Some things never change. He's still number one. And Bernard. Anyway, I was watching a match. Bernard went on to win. And it was a, a moment of some pressure, really, uh, towards the end of the match. And Novak Djokovic was preparing for a second serve. And... Uh, some other joker from the crowd yelled out, here comes another one, just like the other one. And uh, between the 11th and 12th bounce of the ball, it must have just sort of registered in Novak's mind. And he looked up and he smiled and kind of sarcastically but good-naturedly kind of gave the thumbs up as if to say, you know, really funny, mate. But then he did this. He kind of held out the racket like that as if to say, how about you? Why don't you give it a go? What about you? And as we've been looking at the Psalms uh, in January, I do wonder what about you, how you've been going with the Psalms, how they've been impacting you. Uh, one of our hopes for teaching through the book of the Psalms is that they, they help us to respond emotionally appropriately to God. And I hope that has been your experience. That's what the Psalms are there to do, to teach us to respond to God in emotionally appropriate ways. So I do wonder how you've gone with that. I do wonder what about you? When Ray Galea showed us from Psalm 73 that the way to deal with the emotion of envy is to remember that we have nothing, in fact there is nothing in heaven or on earth greater than God, whom we as Christians do have. Did that help you? Man, it helped me. Or last week, as Pete Nelson reminded us, uh, that amidst all the fears, whether they're reasonable or irrational, We have the Almighty, the exalted, the all-conquering, the ever-faithful God as our strength and refuge and ever-present help in trouble. Did that help you with the emotion of fear? Sounds to me like it should have. Well, today we're thinking about the emotion of joy, and I want you to think, do you feel that emotion often? And if so, why is that so? What brings you joy? Is it a nice day, a nice meal with the family? Uh, Is it a new toy or possession of some description? Maybe it's a good holiday. Maybe it's just great waves. 
Maybe it's a great friendship. Uh, Perhaps a better question could even be for you, what robs you of joy? Is it disharmony in the family? Things not working, maybe your body not working. Uh, Maybe it's just not working, you're out of work. Maybe you're in work. (laughs) That robs me of joy. Thinking about great waves, maybe it's sharks in the great waves. What about you? And do you think that the things that either bring you joy or the things that rob you of joy, whether that's family, work, experiences, possessions, whatever they are, do you think those things can really bear the weight of delivering you joy as you really hope and expect them to? I think those are really probing questions to ask. And today, from Psalm 98, I want to give you two reasons to be joyful that can bear the weight of your hopes and expectations. Two reasons. It's likely that Psalm 98 was used, it's a song, right? And it was used in a Jewish festival called the Festival of Booths or Tabernacles, where the Israelites would build little tents out of tree branches and they would live in them for a week to remember their time camping in the wilderness after they were brought out of slavery in Egypt. And Psalm 98 has these two reasons. I'm sure they're not the only two reasons, but I hope that these two reasons will move us to make some noise out of joy. And I'm certain that they won't disappoint. Let's get into it. The first reason for joy from Psalm 98 is because God has made his salvation known to his people. God's revealed his salvation to us. And you see this straight away in verses 1 to 3. Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. I mean, isn't it positive? It's just so positive. The Lord has done marvelous things. And those of us here who are Christians would say he does marvelous things in our lives all the time. But the writer, who's probably King David, is not talking about things in general. Many of you will know that Hebrew poetry, and Psalm 98 is a Hebrew poem, often uses kind of parallelism to make its point, where the second line or part kind of helps interpret or explain the first line or part. And so the marvellous things David talks about in that first line is actually narrowed down to or focused in upon God's salvation, which he has made known. But you might ask the follow-up question, well, what salvation is he talking about? And how has he made it known? I mean, this song was written a thousand years before the coming of Jesus. So which salvation does the writer have in mind? There's a little hint in verse 1, which I hope you have open in your deliciously new Bibles there. There's a little hint in verse 1 where the writer talks about God's right hand and God's holy arm. Because you see, in those days, your right hand was your working hand. Even then, people thought left-handers were a bit strange. And you held your hammer or your threshing scythe in your right hand. You handled money in your right hand. It was your business hand. And it was also your fighting hand. It was where you held your sword or your spear. And pretty much the first mention of your right hand in the whole Bible comes in Exodus 15, where Moses, a very famous guy, and his sister Miriam wrote a song together. And the song was all about God's salvation about how God rescued his people out of slavery in Egypt. And in the song they sing, Your right hand, Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, Lord, shattered the enemy. It's a really vivid picture, as if to say, 
God was rolling up his sleeves like I have today, getting his hands dirty to save his people. The salvation this psalm has in mind is the salvation of the Old Testament people of God out of slavery in Egypt. That's the marvellous deed that it's commemorating. That single great act of salvation is what has been revealed. But listen to how verse 3 describes the salvation. Uh, Look in your own Bibles or up here. God has remembered his love and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. You see, when God made a covenant, a binding promise with Abraham way back in, in Genesis 12, which he later confirmed to Jacob to make Abraham's descendants a nation and to put them in their own promised land. But the story of the Exodus is the story of how Abraham's descendants, who found themselves threatened in a foreign land called Egypt, were saved from extinction and freed from captivity. You must understand God's salvation is not just a random act of kindness to an unknown group of people. It was his decisive act of faithfulness to save the people he had promised to love and to set his grace and kindness upon. And just imagine if the Old Testament people of God read this song or perhaps sung it at the Feast of Booths when they were living in those little tents made out of branches, that annual reminder of the time that God led them out of slavery into the desert and then into the promised land. Wouldn't it be a really moving and touching time? I think so. We've got a dog staying with us this week. He's called Rusty. And he's called a Cavoodle. Apparently that's a a thing now. Uh, And we've looked after other dogs in the past. We once had a friend's Labradoodle, uh, which they described as energetic, I think that was just a nice way of saying it was entirely psychotic. I mean, this dog, you'd let him in and tell him to sit on the mat and it would carry on as though it was experiencing electroshock therapy. So we decided we would not get a dog. But we did get Oliver, our middle boy, a bunny rabbit one year. And we decided that we would slowly reveal it to him with a series of clues, you see. So we wrapped up uh, its little food bowl and we wrapped up its drinking glass thing and then the hay bale and then the little grinding stone for its teeth. And each of them were individually wrapped, and each one we put closer to where we had this little rabbit hidden. And we thought that by the time you know, he got to the box where the bunny was, he'd have figured it out from all the clues. But he just didn't get it at all, you see, until Smokey popped her cute little floppy ears out of the top of the box. We thought that we had pointed to the bunny's arrival much earlier, but Oles just didn't get it from the clues that we had given him. Now, when you think about the salvation of God, the early clues, his salvation of Israel out of slavery in Egypt, it points to a coming salvation, but could you have guessed what it would be like? I mean, you ask the question, what salvation is this psalm talking about? How has God made it known? The answer must go beyond just the historical escape from slavery in Egypt to another occasion where God rolled up his sleeves, where he got his hands dirty, another single great act of salvation in history, a further act of faithfulness to the promises made to Abraham where he promised that one of Abraham's descendants would bring blessing to the whole earth. When God didn't just save his people from human oppressors, but where God became himself human in the person of Jesus and gave up his life on a cross outside Jerusalem where he stretched out his holy arms and where nails were hammered into the right hand and into the left to save his people from their age-old spiritual oppressors of sin and death and the devil. 
those things from which we are not in our own strength able to free ourselves, those slave masters which Jesus freed us from forever when he died on the cross in our place and then rose again to new life. Friends, the Lord has done marvellous things. He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to his people and he has made his salvation known. Sing to the Lord a new song, we say. Shout for joy to the Lord. As you read on, there's a second reason in this psalm, this song, why we ought to sing. And that is that God will judge the whole earth. We saw firstly how he has made his salvation known to his people. But let's just pan the lens wider for a minute. For secondly, God will judge the world in righteousness. You see, our worlds can often be very small places, can't they? Just ourselves, perhaps our immediate family. But God's realm of concern is much wider. It's wider than even the house of Israel, his people of old. His concern is global. And you do actually see this throughout the psalm. So it's perhaps unfair for me not to mention it until now. But have a look at verse 2 in your Bibles there. He's revealed his righteousness to the nations. Or verse 3, all the ends of the earth have seen his salvation. It's almost as if he is saying that he acted in the time of the Exodus for his people, for the house of Israel, but the world was looking on. The nations surrounding them were watching. And they saw what God did for them, almost as if they were spectators at the very edge of the tennis court. Yes, indeed, the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God, but by the time we get down to verse 9, the nations of the world are going to be more than mere spectators or onlookers. Let's have a look at verse 9. Let them, the them is the rivers and the mountains, we'll get to that in a minute, let them sing before the Lord before he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity. You know, it's not just God's salvation that will cause us to shout for joy. It is also his justice. And the entire world, in fact, the entire creation will be caught up in it. I reckon we're all looking for justice, aren't we? We all want justice. I was telling the, uh, the kids on summer camp a couple of weeks ago that uh, one holidays my car got broken into. The thief smashed the back quarter window. He went through everything. He took nothing and left me with a lot of broken glass, a $300 repair bill, and that, just the hassle of getting it repaired on holidays. And I wanted justice. You know, I wanted to come face to face with the thief I want to have a few stern words with him so he knew how much he'd inconvenienced me. I wanted to ask him why he didn't steal my kids' CDs because they're just terrible. You know, if you're going to break into my car, the very least you can do is to take their CDs away. But I didn't get justice. You see, I didn't come face to face with the thief. I didn't get to have that conversation. I just had to report it to a completely disinterested police officer. And I knew then that nothing would happen. Now, in actual fact, when we think about justice... It really isn't something to joke about most of the time. Most of the time, the lack of justice in our world makes us cry rather than laugh. We just wonder how humans can treat others in that way. And we wonder how they can get away with it, don't we? But it will not always be so because God is righteous. He always acts in right ways. You might say fairly and squarely. He deals with people with equity infringements that are too minor for overworked police officers don't escape the attention of God, but much less so the arrogance of nations, of proud kings and rulers, and vain people. 
I reckon we really like the idea of justice when we've been wronged. But you know, when we realize that nothing we do ourselves escapes the notice of God, and we know that he will judge the world in righteousness and with equity, justice can sound actually as terrifying as it is exhilarating, don't you think? All the ends of the earth will not only see the salvation of God, they will experience his righteous judgment and justice. All of them. All of us. But one of the immense things that the death and resurrection of Jesus does for us is to open up God's salvation to the world and to all who live in it. To all those whom God will judge with justice and righteousness, there is now also the great offer of salvation. And if you were to turn to the table of contents in those fresh new Bibles and you look down the list of the names of the Old Testament books, you would see they're all Jewish names. And you compare them to the list of the names of the books of the New Testament and you realize they're the names of cities and they're the names of regions from the non-Jewish world. They're the names of nations and people from well outside the house of Israel. You know, when Jesus died for us and he rose again, the Lord did a marvelous thing, but it wasn't just for his Old Testament people, the Jews. It was for anyone who would turn and trust in Jesus, who would entrust their lives and their futures and their destinies to him, no matter where they live, no matter what nation they're from, Australia, Norfolk Island, wherever it happens to be. In his death and resurrection, this descendant of Abraham, the Lord Jesus Christ, brought blessing to the world. So let me ask you as humbly and respectfully as I can, do you know the salvation that God has revealed in the death of his son Jesus? Have you received in faith the offer of salvation that God continues to hold out to the people of the world until the time that his son returns to judge the world in righteousness and truth? And can I also ask humbly and respectfully, if you don't know that, what is holding you back? But if you have in faith received God's salvation in the death of Christ, then the first part of verse 4 and the last part of verse 6 really is for you. See that there, shout for joy before the Lord. Shout for joy before Him. I mean, it says it twice, so you just can't miss it. And as you read verses 4 to 8, it's as if all creation is getting in on the noise. There's jubilant song and there's blasting trumpets. And get this, even the mountains are singing and the rivers are clapping their hands. And I've got no idea how they do that, but I know that it's loud. Now, isn't it true, the older you get, the less appealing loud noise is, right? You never hear parents yelling at their kids, can you please turn that music up, right? It never happens. But you cannot read this psalm without getting that you just need to express it with some volume. I mean, it says shout twice. For joy, shout for joy. So we're not talking about just meaningless noise. We're talking about joyful noise here. And that assumes something. It assumes that our understanding of the salvation that we have in Jesus moves our emotions and our affections towards joy very easy as Christian people, to be honest with you, it's very easy just as people in the world in general to become embittered um, and sour people. And I understand why we might have a range of questions of shadowy doubts and uneasy tensions about the Christian faith. I have some of my own. But at some point, being saved in Christ according to God's good purposes must move us 
towards joy in a way that our possessions and our experiences and even the best human relationships cannot. When you realise the predicament that we're naturally in because of our sin, our own personal helplessness in providing a solution, our great need of salvation, then joy. And I mean unbridled joy. I mean overflowing joy. I mean resounding joy that joins in with the noise of all creation is the appropriate response. As it says in verse 1, it is totally worth the penning of a new song, isn't it? We've got God. Have we got joy? And then lastly, it says, sing for joy to the Lord or before the Lord. You see, the justice of God will bring him the glory. And when every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord, albeit some of them begrudgingly at the end of time, that will bring God glory. And when the Old Testament house of Israel, God's people of old, remembered his salvation by singing this song at the festival of booths in their little tree tents, brought God glory. And when the ends of the earth saw God's salvation of old, it brought him glory. And when the people of the world participate in his salvation in Christ, even to this day, it continues to bring him glory. We make the noise, sure. But God gets the glory. And so just as we finish up, do you want to ask that question, what about you? I've got to make sure I don't carry it like this because it looks like a gun. <laughs> what about you? How are you in all this? I think today really is a day for joy. I think as Christians we've got a better reason than all others, the best reason of all to make some noise. Sing to the Lord a new song, it says, for he has done marvellous things. Why don't you join me in prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, we recognise that uh, it's easy for us to become bitter people and sour. It's also easy for us as Christian people to have questions and doubts. We want you to move our hearts to be filled with joy when we recognise two very dependable things that you have made your salvation known to us in Christ and that you judge with great justice. And so let us even now sing with great joy to you. Amen.